This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Overcomers, God's Vision for You to Thrive in an Age of Anxiety and Outrage, written and narrated by pastor and best-selling author Matt Chandler, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Have you ever told someone that you'd pray for them? Like they just shared something difficult going on in their lives or something coming up and over text or in person you say, I'll be praying for you? Most of us have, but how many of us actually pray for that person? I mean, don't get me wrong, we mean well when we say we'll pray for somebody and the person we're offering it to probably appreciates it. But do we or even they actually expect us to Pray for them? Saying you'll pray for somebody is the Christian equivalent of a sympathy card. Get well soon. Thinking of you. Hang in there. But if that's all we think prayer is, a sympathy card, we better be ready to accept every single negative stereotype our culture has for us. Because nothing pinpoints what we actually believe like the way we pray. Welcome to Christianese Season 4, Episode 2, praying for you. Okay, I know that intro sounded a little bit dramatic, but it's not. Think about our theology of God like an ice cream sundae. At the base, you've got some pretty big scoops. We believe that there is a God, that he created everything, and that he's in control of everything. On top of that, you've got hot fudge, which, let's be honest, without it, your ice cream sundae is just not the same. The hot fudge of God, which is a phrase I never want to say again, is that he's not distant and apathetic about his creation, but he's nearby and involved with his creation. Then there's all the toppings, that God loves us, that he doesn't just want to be involved in creation, he wants to be intimately involved in our lives, he wants a relationship with us, and he promises to take care of all of our needs. And let's put a cherry on top of this Theology Sunday. God is not a strict taskmaster that we have to work hard to appease, but a loving Father who wants us to come to Him with our cares and needs. And you know what? There's some sprinkles on this Sunday. In Luke 18, Jesus says that God wants us to pester Him with our prayers. Romans 8.26 says that when we don't know what we're supposed to pray, the Holy Spirit will pray for us. And Hebrews 4.15 says that Jesus wants us to come to Him because he sympathizes with our weaknesses and is not only willing, but able to give us as much grace and mercy as we need whenever we need it. So if you were to take out a giant metaphorical spoon and take a bite out of this delicious analogy, you would see, or taste, or whatever, that God is not only able and willing to hear our prayers, but he's able and willing to do something about our prayers. And we know that. I mean, that's not revolutionary theology, it's nothing new, but what does it say about us, the people who know God and know that, when we promise to pray for someone and then just don't? There's a dozen reasons why we may not pray for somebody. Maybe we forget, maybe we're too busy, maybe we don't think that our prayers are actually gonna do anything. But here's where the hollowness of our promise to pray for someone confirms the worst stereotypes about us. Our culture says we don't take what we claim to believe seriously. 
that we preach one thing and then live in a way that's a little bit more convenient to us than what we preached. They say our claims to love one another are empty lip service because all we really care about is getting our way and being comfortable. If I don't take the time to pray for someone that I know who is in need to the God who will hear my prayers, they're right. If I'm not praying for the people that I promise to pray for, it's because I don't really believe something I preach. At the very least, I'm not trusting what I preach enough to actually live it out. And if I don't pray for the people I promise to because I don't have time or I forgot, can I really say that I love them above my own convenience and comfort? There's a disconnect between what we say and what we do, and it all leads back to what we believe about God and the way that we love one another. Here's something else that I know to be true. We, myself included, we're all fallible. We're sinful. We're broken. We're prone to wander. We're prone to leave the God that we love. And so it's always helpful to have a little bit of a reminder of what prayer is and how God wants us to come to him, the sorts of things he wants us to pray about and what he promises to do in light of our prayers. The doctrine of sanctification says that we're all in process. None of us have made it. So rather than feeling guilt and shame, let's look at where God's calling us to go. Prayer is essentially speaking with God. It's not that we're pretending to talk to God or we're just casting thoughts out into the universe and hoping that God hears them. We're actually engaging with, communing, and worshiping God when we pray. And our prayers don't have to be memorized, chanted, or repeated day after day in order to be heard. God is nearby. He is willing and able to hear us, willing and able to help, so we can be confident that when we pray, He hears us. And because of this, our prayers can happen whenever, wherever, about whatever's on our hearts at that moment. So in prayer, the king of the universe is asking to have a conversation with you. What do you want to talk about? If you don't know what to pray, that's totally okay. Like I said before, the Holy Spirit will pray for us when we don't have the words. But at the same time, the Bible gives us lots of examples of prayers that we can make. They're prayers of supplication or prayers where we make a request of God. Prayers of thanksgiving, where we thank God for everything he has done for us in the past and the prayers he's already answered. Prayers of intercession, when we make requests on behalf of someone else. Prayers of worship, when instead of asking God for anything or just checking in with where our life is, we simply focus on praising God for who he is. Corporate prayers, or prayers of agreement, when the church comes together and prays with one another. Prayers of imprecation, where we call on God's justice that he would make it known here on earth. And prayers of consecration, where we not only set ourselves apart to pray in quiet and alone, but ask God to make us holy, to set us apart so that we might do his will. Now these prayers don't have to all be separate. There may be times when we lean more into one than another, but we should be trying to roll them all into our prayer life in a healthy way. Think of the way that Jesus teaches us to pray in Matthew chapter 6. Starting in verse 9, he says, So pray in this way. Our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. That's a prayer of worship. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Imprecation and consecration. Give us this day our daily bread. That's supplication. It's also implicit thanksgiving because we remind ourselves 
that God gives us bread every day, that he constantly is taking care of our needs. And forgive us our debts, as we ourselves have forgiven our debtors. That supplication, consecration, asking God to forgive us, set us apart and make us holy. And also imprecation, that as we forgive others, we know that vengeance is not ours, but justice ultimately belongs to God. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Again, that's consecration. But all of this is done in plural. Lead us, deliver us, forgive us our debts. This is a prayer of corporate agreement. God do this in all of us, not just me. Now in Matthew 6, Jesus was living in a time when people would pray loudly on street corners to be seen and heard and appreciated for their piety. Prayer was a public performance. Today, we're kind of in the opposite situation. Prayer is something that we do in secret, alone, and maybe not even out loud, just mentally in thoughts. And if someone sees us, we probably feel a little bit uncomfortable. So when we promise to pray for somebody, or to lift them up in intercessory prayer, the assumption is that we will go back home and do that when we're alone. And there's nothing wrong with praying alone. Jesus did it all the time. He prayed for his disciples when he was off by himself. But if we struggle to fulfill our promises to pray for people, what if we didn't wait until we were alone to actually pray for them? What if prayer weren't an afterthought? What if we thought of it as more than sympathy? What if our theology was more than mental assent, but the awareness of God's goodness, his willingness, and his nearness caused us to remind ourselves of what he's done for us, what he is doing for us, and what he's promised to do for us. So that in every circumstance, our first thought is to turn to God. In the good moments, we can praise and worship him for all the blessings that he's given us. We can be thankful and joyful, actually stopping to realize that we're in the middle of the good old days. And if we're in situations that aren't what we want, we know where to turn. We know the creator, the sustainer of all things, the one who came to us when we were still his enemies and rescued us. Our good father, our merciful high priest, the one who when we don't know where to turn is just waiting for us to come to him. In 1 Peter 5, 7, the apostle Peter writes, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. The word cast could also be translated to load or throw. God wants you to throw your cares on him, to load him up with your worries and your anxieties because he cares for you. And he's actually the only one who can handle all of your anxieties and do something about them. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Don't be anxious about anything. Instead, in every situation through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, tell your request to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God is so good that you don't even have to wait for an answer to your prayers before he starts to serve you. Even before your circumstances change, while the sources of your anxiety are still present, God promises to give you peace and to guard your heart and your mind. Our theology of God gives us every reason to pray in every situation. So when someone needs our prayers, when we're aware of a hurt 
or a difficult circumstance, why would we wait to pray until we're in secret? What if our first reaction to someone's need was to pray out loud with them then and there? To go in front of God with them, to tangibly intercede for them, and to let them hear your love for them and your reliance on God to care for them. When someone needs intercessory prayer, you're given the opportunity to serve one another in the way that Jesus serves us, as a mediator, an advocate, and a friend. And like the Holy Spirit, who prays for us when we don't have the words, you can pray for others when they feel like their words aren't enough. There may be a lot of reasons why we don't pray for each other, but the promise to do it and the follow-through is the most powerful and loving thing that you could do for someone else. This episode was brought to you in part by The Table Podcast at Dallas Theological Seminary. Listen to rotating hosts discuss issues of God and culture to demonstrate theology's relevance in everyday life. Find it on your podcast app. For videos and more, visit dts.edu podcast.